Shabbat Shalom. There we go. Praise God. Good to see you here. All right, so we are um, in the prelude to the festivals, the fall festivals, and our first one's going to be uh, Yom Teruah, which is the day of blowing trumpets. And Reuben, go ahead and turn me down a little bit. I'm a little bit hot there. Um, so I've entitled this The Seven Trumpets. Keep in mind that the Festival of Trumpets is one of the eight holy days of God, and it finds its fulfillment in the return of Jesus, in the great white throne judgment of God, where he will judge the living and the dead. And there's a lot that goes into that. That's a very long time period. But that is culminated and fulfilled in the return of Jesus, kicked off, I shall say, in the return of Jesus. Today, we're going to take a brief look at the seven trumpets of God in the book of Revelation and how they reveal what is coming and how we can prepare for it. Thank you for joining us today, those that are watching us via our live stream. Uh, and please, if you will, keep us in your prayers as we also cover you in our prayers. Colossians 2.16, we visited this verse last week. We're going to go ahead and do that again this week. Paul says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. All of these festivals that we keep are pointing forward to things that are coming. They prepare us for things that are coming. They reveal to us the things that are coming so that we have a frame of reference for how we live our lives. And all of them find their reality in Jesus the Messiah. That's why we do these things. That's why they're important to us. So last week we saw that Yom Teruah finds its consummate fulfillment in the return of King Jesus to judge the living and the day, dead. And it's in that day that God will blow the trumpet, his trumpet, the trumpet of God, that triggers the return of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. Some will be raised to a glorious resurrection of life and rewards, honor, and others will be resurrected to a terrifying uh, and eternal damnation. Before the final trumpet is blown, six other trumpets will be blown. And these six trumpets that are being blown precede the coming of Jesus. They trigger the painful judgments of God that he pours out on this world for its rebellion, for its hatred, for its murders and thefts and immorality. God is going to judge this world. But for believers, for those of us who believe in the Messiah, those of us who are keeping the commandments of God, we will not be surprised, for we're already clued in as to what our Father's doing. And He has promised to keep us in the midst of His outpoured judgments of wrath. So let's jump into Revelation chapter 8 to get an overview of what is coming. And I should back up a little bit, because Revelation 8 has a larger context. This is the book of Revelation. This is a book that gives us a pattern of how God relates to a world that's gone crazy. And so I want to just kind of uh, give us a little bit bigger, broader view before we jump into the specifics of Roman chapter eight, Romans, or I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 8. 
this backdrop is about God bringing judgment to Babylon. And Babylon is that ancient empire, if you remember, that kind of gets its first glance early in the Torah. And then we see all these empires that come after Babylon, and they're evil like she is. But Babylon becomes this one that represents this evil that piggybacks on other empires down through the timeline of history. And so when we look at Babylon in the book of Revelation, understand that it's the spirit of Babylon that is originally seen early on, but is also seen in each subsequent empire. This spirit seeks to attach itself to empires and to use their authority to oppress and persecute the people of God. So Babylon's kind of a code word, if you will, for John the Apostle. In fact, many point out that John is referring to Rome, but can't speak plainly that it's Rome. Because not only will Rome censor you and cancel you, they'll imprison and kill you. So John's smart enough to use this, uh, this word Babylon as kind of a code for the empire of his day. If John can do that, can we? Can we think of Babylon and what she represents in relationship to any of the world empires today? Do the world empires today that we see on the scene act like Babylon of old? These are important questions for us because John the Revelator is not only describing things that would come in 70 AD, but things that would come at the end of the age as well. So I'm going to begin with Revelation chapter 18. I want you to think through this. Listen to what John's saying about the Roman Empire of his day and how it would relate to other empires after him. Don't think too hard. And I'll be very careful so we don't get kicked off YouTube. Revelation 18.1, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit. She has become. She wasn't originally that place. She became that place. The spirit of the serpent permeated Babylon, and Babylon fell in that deception and became a place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. All of these are metaphors and similes, figures of speech for John, describing rebellion against God. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Where are the people of God at the end of the age? Immersed in Babylon. Isn't that interesting? Now, you can put that back in Rome, or you can put that even earlier, and you see that to be true. Why would that be different at the end of the age? 
You know, we are, are like, we are all like sheep. We all go, to, go astray, right? Sheep are not very smart. And there's no match between the sheep and the deception of the serpent. Without the Lord, there's no hope for us. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and thus receive of her plagues. God's saying, you don't belong in Babylon. You're called to be in the world, but not of the world. Come out of her. Don't participate in her sins because I'm sending plagues as a result of her sins and the plagues are not for you. So come out so that you don't experience the plagues that are intended for her. Verse 6, interesting passage. Most scholars will shy away from who this is in reference to because, well, you can understand why. Verse 6, pay her back. Who's he talking to? Pay her back. The angels of heaven? Pay her back, right? We're not going to talk too much about that, but pay her back even as she is paid. Give back to her double according to her deeds in the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her. To, to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree, give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen. I am not a widow. I will never see mourning. She's so rich and so empowered, has so much control over the nations. She boasts that she will never be diminished. For this reason, in one day her plagues will come pestilence, mourning, famine, and she'll be burned up with fire for the Lord God who judges her is strong. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone, and this is also the theme that you find in Revelation 8. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. And the sound of the harpists and the musicians, the flute, player, flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. No craftsman or any craft will be found in you any longer. The sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. The light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. Think of the elites around the globe. I want you to think of the rich and the powerful who basically manipulate and control the nations. For your merchants were the great men of the earth because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who had been slain on the earth. Now, I want to say this as carefully as I can say it. And I hope you hear my heart in what I have to say. Hang with me. Give me the benefit of the doubt. I am pro-medicine. 
I take medicine. I have lots of medicine. I have natural medicines. I have pharmaceuticals in my home. I'm geared up. I'm ready to go. I've planned for the future. I am pro-medicine. Number two, I am pro-healthcare professionals. I am for them. The vast majority of healthcare professionals care about their patients. They love their patients. They want to see their patients healed and whole. I am pro-health pro, uh, professionals. I even go. I don't go as much as my wife wants me to go or my family wants me to go. They're always trying to get me to go for every little thing. You know, I, I, I take my medicine first. If I don't get better, then I go, and then I get more medicine. Then I usually get better. Coupled with prayer, faith in God, our healthcare professionals, man, I'll tell you what, it's been a blessing in my life. Now, that being stated, I want to go back to this verse. In her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who had been slain on the earth. Why? Because she deceived the nations by her sorcery. Now, this word sorcery in the Greek is the Greek word pharmakia. That's where we get our words in English like pharmacy, pharmaceutical. It's interesting to note that this is one of the primary definitions of the Greek word itself, not just magic, not just sorcery, which is the art of deception, but also the employment of drugs for any purpose. That's actually the Greek definition, not mine. This is from a standard Greek lexicon that's widely used across the denominational barriers. The Greek word for sorcery here is pharmakia, quote, which includes, quote, the employment of drugs for any purpose. Let's unpack that. It's not saying that drugs are bad in and of themselves. What the text is saying is that Babylon, the spirit of Babylon, uses them in a way that's abusive for control and power and for money, okay? Pharmaceuticals in and of themselves are not a problem. I am pro-pharmaceutical. But the improper use or the abuse of them is what's problematic, and Babylon, this is one of her chief sins. She has, she has a number of chief sins that we're not going to go into because we don't have time, but this is one of them. This is one of them. I want you to think about this for a moment. These are the top 10 big pharma companies in 2021 in their market cap in the stock market. Johnson & Johnson, $435 billion. Roche, $287 billion. Pfizer, $220 billion. Abbott, $213 billion. ABV, $202 billion. Novartis, $194 billion. Merck & Company, $191 billion. Eli Lilly and Company, $178 billion. Novo Nordisk, $173 billion. AstraZeneca, $141 billion. That's just the top 10. Do you see how much wealth is here? Again, I'm not against pharmaceutical companies. I own stock in a lot of these companies. What I'm against is the abuse of the pharmaceutical industry. It's where it becomes abusive that I have a problem. The improper use of pharmaceuticals is what I am addressing. And it's that that we find in this world system 
under Babylon at the end of the age. Let me give you an example of a misuse. In 2020, we saw the emergence of a virus called COVID-19. This virus caused a worldwide pandemic, as you know. Big government and big pharma came up with their solution, a new experimental mRNA vaccine. That wasn't a problem, by the way. That's not a problem. That's what medical professionals do. They seek solutions to help us, to keep us safe and whole. Coming up with a vaccine is not a problem. The problem was that this government and governments around the world mandated the experimental vaccine, used their authority and their power to force people against their will and conscience to take the experimental vaccine. There is so much wrong with that. I should not have to unpack that. Just intuitively, we know that's wrong. You don't get to experiment on your people. Big government doesn't have a right to experiment on its people. And yet that's what they did. Now, John Hopkins University, uh, the stats they put together early on were the stats that were used by many, many, many of the medical professionals around the globe. I looked at that today. This mandated experimental mRNA vaccine has been administered as of today. This is how many doses? 12 billion 228,163,637 doses. Again, I'm not against vaccines. I'm against mandating them against people's will. And when big pharma and big government get together and mandate, I'm telling you right now, it's never good for the people results in a whole lot of revenue and control for these institutions, but it's not good. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. Now couple this with all the other things that our current administration is, a, is, is forcing on us, and you begin to see the emergence of the spirit of Babylon all around us. Think of the redefinition of marriage and what that's done. Think of the redefinition of gender and all that that's doing. 60 plus genders. Actually, there's over 100. I'm just going with the safe kind of stat that's a couple years old. 60 plus genders. I mean, we have, we think about this. The elites of the world, those that are in power, have authority, are educated in academia, some of those who have the key places in media and in our institutions are telling us that men can have babies. Now, I'm telling you right now, the sheep say, yeah, that, that's probably true because they're the experts. But people that don't have a love for the truth wouldn't know any better because they are not, they're not concerned about the truth. It's like just, what, what is my authority saying? And that's true because I, I'm just... A sheep, I follow. 
Men can have babies. The deception all around us is so intense. The darkness is so great. I cannot help but begin to connect dots between the spirit in Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and all around us today is growing. Our nation is on the path of being judged like previous nations who legislated these perversions, who used their powers to abuse the people. God brought judgment on these nations. And we're on that same course. We're doing what these other nations did. The spirit of Babylon is here today as it was in the beginning. The names have changed, but the players are the same. So here's a preview of coming attractions. Things we've seen that God has already done in the past that he's going to do here in our future if we as a nation don't repent. Revelation 8, verses 1 through 13. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Seven trumpets, the number of completion, right? This is very, very symbolic uh, in terms of what God's going to do. And so we have this number of seven, and we have trumpets. Trumpets, again, tied into the day of the blowing of the trumpet, right? It's all about judgment. When God blows his great trumpet, Jesus is coming. What for? He's going to judge the living and the dead. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne and the smoke of the incense with the prayer of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it on the earth and there followed peals of thunder, sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Sounds like Exodus. Sounds like the signs and wonders in Exodus. In fact, if you follow this closely, you're going to connect all these dots with the plagues of Egypt and the plagues poured out in the book of Revelation. Note, there's seven great trumpets. Note that in the story of the Exodus, how many of the plagues were there that touched Egypt? Ten. The first three touched the Hebrews and the Egyptians. The last seven, only Egypt experienced. God sheltered his people in the midst of those seven plagues. And here's the seven plagues again. I'm going to tell you, shoot straight with you from the word go. I want to encourage you. We're exempt from these. We'll get down to that. We're exempt from these. God says, I'm going to have you sealed before I pour them out so that you won't be touched by them. That's the good news. That's the good news. God's going to keep us in his love through this. So here's, here's these saints. They're crying out to God. What are they crying out to God for? If you read the larger context, they're crying out to God about those that persecuted them. They're oppressors. They're persecutors. Many of them are martyrs. And they're saying, God, are you going to do something about this? Are you, going to, are, you, are you going to address this? This is horrible what's happened to us. So the angel comes and mixes it with incense. The smoke goes up. And then God says, yeah. As a matter of fact, I will. And because you cried out to me, I will move on your behalf. And I will pour out judgment on the world that persecuted you. 
So the trumpets are in response to God answering our prayers to say, do something, stop the wicked, remove the wicked from our midst, stop the murders and, 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 and the persecution and all of the craziness. Rescue us, O God. Verse 6, and the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. That's a lot of devastation coming. There's a lot of pain coming to this world. The world has had its way for a long, long time, has oppressed the people of God in every generation. But the payback is coming. So where is the believer in all this once again? The same place they were in Egypt, in the midst of it. There's no rapture. You're not getting raptured out of it. Sorry, if you look at the paradigm of Egypt, of which John bases in part his understanding of what's coming, if you'll note, God didn't rapture his people out of Egypt. He kept them in the midst of Egypt. He kept them in the midst of the outpour judgments. They fell on the Egyptians, but didn't touch them and their households. Isn't that amazing? Even the last plague, the plague of death, right? They put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, and that death didn't enter their home, but the home next to them, it went right in. Go and figure. God is able to keep his people in the midst of it. If we go back into Revelation chapter 7, we'll see this more clearly. This precedes where we're at right now. But let me jump back to Revelation 7, 1 through 3. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. God's withholding his judgment. He's holding it back. I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God, and he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. Verse 3. This angel was saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of God on their foreheads. Don't do anything until my people are sealed. I want you to put on their foreheads a mark, a sign, so that when these angels are released, some of which are demons, he uses both angels and demons in these, in these judgments that he brings about. He says, I want them marked. And then he's going to forbid these entities from touching anyone who is sealed with the mark of God on their forehead. God is going to keep his people in the midst of judgment. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. No, no, we have to fear some persecution from the enemy's camp, but you know, that's been true in every generation. What's new? What I want to escape is the wrath of God, which is far greater than anything the enemy could ever do. Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body only. Fear the one who can kill both body and soul in the lake of fire. Yeah. God says, I'm going to protect you. This seal is a sign of exemption. You're exempt from all of this. We see this in the first Passover, right? He kept his people in the midst of it. 
They marked their houses with the blood of the lamb, and they were exempt from the final and great plague of death. We see it in Ezekiel's day too. When God had determined to judge his people, they were so corrupt and so far away from him, and they wouldn't repent. There was a remnant in Israel that stayed faithful. The vast majority just gave in and went with the lawless one. So God's coming to judge Jerusalem first and then out to the borders of Israel, his own people. Right before he does that, I'm going to pick up verse 4 in chapter 9 of Ezekiel. The Lord said to this angel, Go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. For the remnant who believe in me that are heartbroken over all of this filth and wickedness, who are sick over the immorality, the thefts, the murder, the lawlessness. Yeah, go mark them on their foreheads. Before my wrath is unleashed, I want them marked. Verse 5, But to the others he said in my hearing, Go through the city after him and strike, and do not let your eye have pity and do not spare. Utterly slay old men, young men, maidens, little children, and women. But do not touch any man on whom is the mark. You shall start from my sanctuary. So they started with the elders who were before the temple. Those who love God, they're marked by God. Those who have no concern about God and his law, who are living only for their own selfish, fleshly interests, they have no protection. It's all about signs and marks, right? Signs. I see signs everywhere, right? Think of the Shabbat. Exodus 31, 12 through 13. The Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say to them, above all you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I'm the Lord who sanctifies you. This word in the Hebrew for sign is the word for mark. It means mark as well. It is one of the marks of God on our lives. You know, Sunday is the mark of the Roman Catholic Church. That's their words, not mine. I'm not saying this about the church. The church is saying this about itself. Let me give you a quote. Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible. This transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. That comes from the Catholic record, London, Ontario, September 1st, 1923. One of many quotes, boasts, I should say. Again, one of the marks of God is the weekly Shabbat, Exodus 31, 17. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So in summary, God's all about marks and signs. He's going to mark his people. He's going to give them signs. He's going to clue them in, and he's going to preserve them through the judgments that are coming. Revelation 14, 12. Here's the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. That's in the midst of the outpoured wrath of God. If you go to Revelation, this is the culmination of when all of it's done and said and all of the wrath of God is poured out, all the plagues, the pestilence, the death, famine, everything, all that comes, right? 
The saints are still here. The remnant is still here. Those who believe in Jesus and are keeping his commandments are still there. Why? Because God says, I'll preserve you through it. I'm not going to take you out of it. I'm going to preserve you in it. So we're in for the long haul. We're going to see all this stuff if we live long enough. And God's going to keep us through it all. If you love Jesus and you're walking in the commandments of God, he will preserve you. And I'm not talking about being perfect in your in your walking out the commandments of God. I'm talking about loving God and loving his ways in all of your imperfections and misunderstandings. If your heart is for Jesus and his law, you're preserved, you're marked. Everything's going to be okay. But for the wicked, their time is coming. Now, the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. Chapter 8, verse 8 third of the sea became blood, third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Note the word like. The second angel sounded in something like a great mountain. Like a great mountain. This is a simile, if you will. Figure of speech. Mountains were in reference to empires. This is in reference to an empire. This is in reference to a world power, a superpower. The angel says it was on fire and thrown into the sea. The very picture of judgment, of being brought down, of being destroyed. This is a depiction of Babylon in chapter 18. Fallen, fallen is Babylon, the great city, or the great, right? And then later the great city. Yeah, it's being cast down, hurled into the sea. She will fall. The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water, waters. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became worm, worm, Wormwood. And many died from the waters because they were made bitter. The fourth angel sounded, and the third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. Scholars note that Revelation, the genre is apocalyptic. It's filled with symbols. It's filled with figures of speech. It shouldn't be taken literal, right? Most of it is not literal. What this is in reference to is the release of demonic spirits that bring darkness. Darkness is a sign of what? Confusion and chaos and deception. And they come and through that, they create a lot of misery and torment so you can add to this whole issue of like god's outpoured wrath as being seen in what demonic agencies are allowed to do at the end of the age you'll see an increase of deception an increase of confusion think of the darkness today men can have babies really think of what they're teaching our kids in our schools about sexuality so much deception, people. It's all around us. But God's going to judge it. Then I looked and I heard an angel uh, or heard an eagle flying in mid heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. I'm going to have to do the three trumpets next week, the final part of this chapter, because I am out of time. But suffice it to say that the next three are going to make the first four look like a walk in the park. 
And if there's one thing that we can learn from what we're hearing today is uh, draw close to the Lord. Press into Jesus. Do not take for granted your salvation. You're not going to want to miss the mark of God on your life, the seal of God on your life. Within the body of Christ, there are many believers and many who think they're believers. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of God. Those were Jesus' words. So examine yourself. Make sure you're in the faith. Make sure you're drawing close to Jesus because the game is on and it's getting intense. And we're going to see more clearly in November what direction the nation is going to take. But based on that, I think we might see the beginning of some of these outpoured judgments on our nation. Keep in mind that in Messiah we are kept. This is why we rejoice that even though the sound of the shofar beckons judgment, for us it beckons salvation. For the wicked, punishment. For the saint, rewards. So we'll rejoice in our day of the blowing of the trumpets. We will pray and hope that at one of these days that we're blowing our trumpets, God will blow his signaling the return of Jesus and the restoration of all things. So Shabbat Shalom. Look forward to celebrating with you in the park. May your week be blessed and filled with the Spirit of God. Amen.